welcome to the Three Ball Guys Talk Marketing Podcast with Three Ball Guys. Fred Peritsky of FCP Digital, Paul Schindel of Three Bears Communications, and freelance writer Rodney Warner. Welcome, folks, to yet another episode of Three Bald Guys Talk Marketing with me, freelance writer, Rodney Warner. I'm Paul Schindel, Three Bears Communications in Princeton, Advertising, Marketing, and Communications. And Fred Peritzke of FCP Digital of Rich Bucks County, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, specializing in web design and search engine optimization. And this episode's guest is... Laura Jones, Director of Development with Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Bucks County. Excellent. Thank you for coming, Laura. Thank you for having me. This is this is great. I think everybody has heard of Big Brothers, Big Sisters. And I mean, I'm willing to guess that very few people actually know what Big Brothers, Big Sisters is about. So can you tell us? Yeah, so Big Brothers, Big Sisters has been around for 56 years approximately in Bucks County and since 1904 nationally. Um, basically, we are a mentoring organization. We match children and youth considered at risk for various reasons um, with volunteer mentors, usually adults, but we also have some programs that match children and youth with high school students. And they provide extra support, encouragement, and guidance. And, you know, the, the great thing about the organization, it's such a simple idea to help the people you want to help. I mean, it's not it's literally not rocket science. It, it's really pretty basic and a Good great point. idea. Yes, yeah, so you don't need any special qualifications to become a big mentor. What, what is required to become a mentor? Honestly, it's really just the, the sense that you would like to give back. You want to, that you have it in yourself to want to provide guidance um, to somebody who needs it, to be a good listener, to offer advice when needed, but really to just be somebody who's there to guide listen, uh, provide encouragement to somebody else. Um, you don't have to have experience be working with children. Uh, mentors come in all shapes and sizes and experiences. Um, some mentors are people who have been through a lot of challenges through their lives. They might have been people who did not have the support system that they would have liked to have had growing up, and they wish they had. And they have overcome challenges and been able to really... Uh, get to a good place in their lives where they feel like they um, are at a good balance uh, mentally, physically, and they want to offer that support to somebody else. Um, in other cases, it's people who have had a nurturing background and support system, and they just have the personality that they want to help nurture and guide somebody else who they know could use it. And how do children find their way to the organization and to being matched up with a mentor? So good question. We have guidance counselors in all the schools that are basically our liaisons through teachers letting them know and them meeting with students themselves. They find that there are a lot of their students that just need extra guidance. They might be struggling academically. They might be struggling um, socially or emotionally and or have experienced or witnessed trauma. And they realize they need some extra support. So they're usually the ones who provide the formal referral. A parent can reach out to us and ask for a mentor for their child, but in any case, they still need to get a formal referral. When The first time that I met you, um, and I am interested, as you know, in being a, a big, as they call it, right? Yes, that's what we call our a, mentors. A big and a, a little. I was concerned about how the parents 
react to this? And are the parents always looking for it, or do they feel threatened by having somebody act as a mentor? So a lot of volunteers or potential volunteers have asked me that question, and I will say through doing um, hundreds of interviews of parents over the years, I would say that what surprised me the most is um, even the parents who have children that need our help who may have made poor choices or found themselves in situations they would not want their children to be in. Um, they, every parent has always, that I've always met, have always wanted the best for their children. So I have not ever found somebody who's going to be in our program, a parent who does not want a mentor in their lives. They realize their children need extra support, and they're always looking for resources for them. Nice. You know, as far as me personally, I mean, I've kind of thought about it too because, you know, I've, I've learned of the organization is it's almost like I'm, I'm kind of afraid I'm going to get too involved with the kid. I mean, it's it's. I mean, these families are obviously not in great situations, and maybe over time, I'm I'm going to want to be Superman or something. You know, is is that something you you kind of look at as far as volunteers are concerned? So yes, that's a good point. Um, we put policies and guidelines in place to make sure that that does not happen. So yes, a natural tendency for a volunteer might want to help the family. They might want to provide financial resources or goods that they need. That is not part of our program, and we don't want that to happen. So we have guidelines in place. If you, as a mentor, go into a home and the little ends up talking about the fact that it was cold during the wintertime, that their parent could not afford to pay the heating bill, or that they're hungry because there's not enough food in the fridge. Those are things that you would tell what we, and our staff is called a match support specialist. And we will find the resources for the family. We never want the mentor to be that resource. You're there to be a one-to-one guide and mentor and friend to the child that you're matched with, but we're not, you're not supposed to, and we don't want you to be a resource for the family. And what's, what's the time commitment for a volunteer? For our community program, and that is a program where we ask you to, take, to make arrangements with a parent or guardian and to take the child out to do something in the community, that's two times a month for about an average of two hours each time. So that's something you could easily fit into your schedule. I am a big sister mentor, and I take my child out once every other weekend. I'll pick one day, Saturday or Sunday, to take her out to do something. In their school-based program, that's a very different program, that's where you visit a child at their school just during your lunch hour, during the child's lunch and recess or study period, depending on what grade they're in. And that is, we ask you to meet with them weekly, but for one hour the most. You are not meeting with them outside of school. You're not taking them out to do anything. It's very structured. It's only during the school year. So those, that's for people who live or work near a school and may not have a lot of personal time or weekend time to give up, but you want to be a mentor. And that you can make a very strong impact by being a school-based mentor. You know, I had the, uh, the pleasure of uh, writing some grant applications for a nonprofit. And I know a big thing with funders is showing, demonstrating some kind of concrete benefit to the people who are involved. You know, have you guys been able to track any of that? You know, what are, you know, what are some of the some of the concrete measurable benefits of, of people you help? So you're absolutely right. I'm actually have been a grant writer for Big Brothers Big Sisters for last several years, and we do always have to show outcomes for our grant proposals. Uh, we do have outcomes that we show every year that we are able to demonstrate because we give the big, which is a mentor, the little, and the parent or sometimes a teacher, depending on the program, we give them surveys to complete every year. 
and we measure the differences from year to year and from before they were matched. Each child in the program is, takes a survey before they're matched with a mentor. Anyway, what we have found, and re the reason our programs are so strong and the reason we keep doing what we do, is because we have found that children and youth who are matched with mentors are more motivated to stay in school, are more motivated to graduate from school, to go to high school and finish. They are more... they benefit socially, learning how to respond in different situations, how to deal with a conflict, whether it's a peer, a parent, or a teacher. Um, and they also are more, they set higher goals for their future. So a lot of the kids in our program, if their parents have not gone to college or are not in livable wage jobs, they, even though they would love their children to be able to do that, they often don't speak to their children about that and may not have those expectations set because they didn't know, they did not navigate that themselves and they're not sure how to do that for their children. So what a mentor does is show the child or youth another path they can go on and also help them, you know, think about what their strengths are and how to build on those strengths and how to uh, create a plan for the future. How long does a mentor child and, and a little and a big relationship last? So we ask for a commitment of 15 months for all of our programs. In the school program, I would say that's about two years of a school program because you're only meeting during the school year. Um, but our average match length is actually like well over three years, and we have matches that stay together for 10 years and more because children can be matched anywhere from kindergarten and first grade all the way until they graduate from high school. How many bigs do you have, and, and how many would you like? So we never have enough bigs for all the littles that want a big. We have served, we serve every year approximately 500 matches, but we always have a waiting list of approximately 200 kids who want to be matched. And part of that reason is we have a lot more boys in the waiting list. Usually it's about 70% of the waiting list are boys, and we never have as many men volunteer to become mentors. Do boys have to be matched with men and girls with women? Generally, it is a same-sex match where a girl will be matched with a female and a boy will be matched with a male. However, there are times where we will match a boy with a female mentor. Uh, usually that would be in the school program, not as much in the community program. And we try to be flexible. Sometimes we have siblings that are matched with couples. And in that case, each the, the son will go, or the brother will go out with a big his big brother and the girl will go out with a big sister and then sometimes they'll do things all together given the way the society is today i'm sure there are a lot of background checks that have to be done on the mentor side can you talk a little bit about that yes so that's what i would say um is what really separates our mentoring program from all others is the thorough in-depth screening of our volunteers and also our ongoing screening and oversight that we provide. So there's a criminal background check, child abuse history clearance, county clearance, driving record check, and fingerprinting, which is FBI clearance that every mentor has to go through, whether it's a school program or community program. Plus, what we have is match support. So a match support specialist is somebody on our staff, a professional person. Um, everybody in our staff, by the way, are paid staff with at least a bachelor's degree, but many of the people on our staff have teaching certificates, guidance counselor certificates. Um, some of them have masters in sociology, psychology. Um, but anyway, we have a staff person who's assigned for every match, and that person's gonna call the big, the little, and the parent or guardian on an ongoing basis for as long as it matches together. That person is checking to make sure that the child and the big and the parent are feeling good about the match, 
that they're feeling safe and comfortable. And if they have any questions or want some advice or suggestions, the Match Support Specialist provides that. This is a marketing podcast. The way I see it, you have three key audiences. One is getting your, your bigs, your mentors. One is your school audience, guidance counselors and others in the school systems. And the third would be fundraising. Tell us on each of those. And you know what? Let's start with the fundraising. Tell us what you do to market Big Brothers, Big Sisters. And I guess my first question related to fundraising is how much of that comes from individual donations versus perhaps foundations or government-related I don't know the exact um, percentage differences, but I would say we're always a combination of all of those things you mentioned. So I'm the director of development. I am always reaching out to businesses to be sponsors. Um, we're all always reaching out for individual donors to donate to us. Um, and we're always doing events. If We have a lot of events coming up this year. You'll see uh, we have something every month. In many cases, we have multiple events in one month. So we are always looking for a combination of those things and grants. Uh, so we never have an ongoing source of funding that we can count on every year. Even though we're 56 years here, which is pretty amazing to have survived that long, I will say that every year we're always looking to see what can we get as a, a continual funding stream. But it's always been a combination. There's not one... There's not one pot that we can go to every year and know that we're covered. So it's an ongoing process. So regarding marketing, I would say it's also a combination of things. So on one hand, uh, we have fundraising events, and we need sponsors for that. Um, so that's one thing we look at. But on the other hand, we're looking for people to buy into what we're doing and to understand what we do. So we also have events that are not about fundraising. They're more what we call friend-raising. We want people in the community to become partners with us on one hand, if they become mentors with us, if we get a few companies or many companies to agree to be mentors with us in our school program, the more the, the employees see what we, what we do and the impact that we have and that they have together, um, the more they want to support us financially. So I'm always looking at this as a full, full circle. It takes a village, and we went, I need all these people to be partners with us and to see what we're doing. So. We have a couple events that we, an open house that we do in January, plus we do a volunteer appreciation event generally in May. And in those events, we really want people, we're not asking for money for them to come. We want them to come. We want them to hear the stories of the people that we're honoring at those events. And when we give a Big of the Year award, for example, you know, when a, a mentor has done something outstanding and made a real impact, and his little brother comes up to speak about what the impact has been, that is the best marketing we can ask for. It's sharing a story straight from the heart. That's exactly what happens to us pretty much every year. When we realize that somebody has a very compelling story, then I ask them to come speak at our gala and share the story again to a new audience. You know, the organization I volunteer for, I know a, a volunteer, the volunteers are a pretty good source of, of, uh, of fundraising because we're so devoted to the organization. We're, we're devoting time. So we're probably going to donate money. Uh, obviously, that, that, that depends on, on the person. Right. And, and I went to, I remember one, one night I went to, and it's a cancer support community, and, and they support kids. And most of them, their, their parents have cancer. And it was, almost, it was almost like art therapy. We'd draw stuff, and the kids took turns standing up. The stories they told, if they didn't rip your heart out, you didn't have a heart. Mm -hmm. 
And I, I kind of had my, my fundraising hat on, and I was thinking, you know, if we had potential funders in the room, we'd have a stack of checks on the desk at the end of the night. So, so when it comes to marketing, you know, the, it's those personal stories that really, that are really so effective. Absolutely. So the other thing that we have been getting better at, I have been with Big Brother Big Sisters now for about 11 and a half years, and we have definitely evolved over the years. Um, we are now on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and Twitter. The important thing for us to do is to constantly be sharing our stories on those platforms, but also showing recognition and appreciation for anybody who's supporting us. So whether it's a small business or a big business, whether it's a small contribution or a big corporate check, just putting a shout out on the social media, we found it's really helpful. It's a win-win for the people donating and for us to show how many people we do have partnering with us. Do you follow up with the littles and with the mentors to see where they've gone in the future? I know that you told me a story when we were at a Newtown Business Association event about your little sister, which you've been mentoring for years. Five, so, yeah. Yeah, so can you talk about in, in the 56 years of the Big Brothers in Bucks County, there must be a lot of success stories of littles that have gone on to also be mentors and their life was changed. Do they look at, do they track that? Yes and no. On one hand, I would say we don't do a good job of tracking after they graduate. If they don't get in touch with us, we're not, we don't have a program that keeps track of them. On the other hand, I've had people who call me or stop by um, or message us and tell me their story. Um, for one example, we have a board member who was our passport, our immediate passport president. Um, he, John Wilson, um, he has been in touch with his little brother. He was a little brother. I'm sorry. He was a little brother, and he has kept in touch with his big brother his entire life. Wow. So he got matched. I can't remember now whether it was 9, 10, 11. Um, his father was not in his life anymore. Um, his mother knew that he was going down the wrong path, making poor choices. And his big brother, Charlie, became a, you know somebody who he would reach out to for advice besides doing thing, activities together. He said throughout his entire life, um, eventually going to college and going to, working for J&J, &J, as an executive, he said he still, even to this day, would talk to his big brother about any decision he was making. Um, he retired a few years ago from Johnson & Johnson after being a worldwide vice president. Um, very successful and um, his big brother is somebody who's still in his life. So he has um, come to a couple of our events, actually. He lives in another state now, his big brother. But so that's an example of somebody who really did achieve a lot of success and gave back and became part of our board. Um, I've also had people reach out to me. Um, maybe I'll get a donation from somebody who I don't know. And then I call them and say, thank you so much for this. What's your connection with us? What made you think of us? They'll end up sharing a story with me that they had been a little brother, and it changed their lives. That's great. You mentioned, <clears throat> I think, four social media channels that you work through. And I'm wondering, how do you manage that? Is there someone in-house who is in charge of each of those, or does one person handle all of them? How often do you post? That sort of thing. Okay, so we definitely have evolved with that as well. So in the past few years, we would have me, um, somebody, maybe our CEO would be posting randomly in each of these platforms, um, but we eventually realized that we really needed somebody to do this, at that being their full responsibility. Mm -hmm. So we have somebody who's still part-time. Um, she was only working 10 hours a week for 
maybe a whole year, I would say. And we just brought her on to do 30 hours a week. Um, but yes, she is responsible and we really and she really uh, has a good handle on making sure that she has a plan in place now. So she handles all those four platforms and in many cases she'll do the same post on all of them sim- simulta- mm-hmm. simultaneously. Um, we make sh- and we also have a plan in place where we realize we need to have some kind of guidelines or schedule where may- Saturday will be sponsor Saturday. We reach out to we say thank you to sponsors. Monday will be mentoring Monday where we showcase a match relationship. Um, that type of thing. So she keeps track of that, and we try to have some kind of, um, re, you know, method to our madness, so to speak. Sure. Nice. When you're highlighting a big and little, you know, case history, I assume you do something to protect the identity of the of the littles. And how do you go about doing that? I mean, do you call them this little who will call Jane? You know, or how how do you handle that sort of thing? So we always. That's also constantly evolving decision that we have to make. First of all, we have to get permission for everybody, each little in our program, there has to be permission for them to be in the program, but also to be on social media. So they, a parent mm-hmm. can opt out of that. And then we have to pay attention to that and not allow that child to be on any of our social media or marketing. Uh, and we want, the, we always want the big to be aware of that too, because at this day and age, and I know when I go out with my little, mm-hmm. we are constantly taking selfies and photos of ourselves doing activities, which is really helpful for sharing my story. But if I didn't have permission to do that, then I wouldn't be able to post that ever. So we have to pay attention to who has permission and doesn't have permission. Uh, we also do, we never use last names all, as well. You know, luckily, I think most parents seem like they're proud of the child being in the program and the and what how it's been helping them. So they are they seem I would say mostly to be very much um, encouraging and supportive of us being able to share the story. Do the do the littles see or engage with much of the social media? I'm thinking probably mostly on Instagram. If they do, what's that like? Because at some point regardless of of the organization or the social media channel at some point it's out of your control that's that can raise issues we don't have we definitely don't have complete control of the little's ability to go on social media uh, we discourage bigs and little to befriend each other on facebook i know my little sister and i are friends on instagram it's a little bit more structured on instagram but even then you know, with you know, we're not messaging each other so much on that. So on one hand, having a big and little, being sharing a little bit of a social platform, then I can also see what she's, you know, what she's posting too, and maybe offer her some guidance too, because there are times where sometimes she'll share something that I feel a little too personal on there, and I can have a conversation with her about it. Um, but I don't want her to be so involved, both both ways. Um, I don't necessarily want her to see everything I'm doing on all my mm-hmm. social platforms. But that brings up another point. Anybody who's volunteering with us as a big sister or big brother, we really do want to them to be mindful of what they're... We want them to have privacy settings in place, too. And we want them to be appropriate on their social media. So that's something we also do as an ongoing check through math support because those are decisions that you're making and you're also um, modeling what's appropriate or not appropriate to your little, if they can see anything. As far as getting more volunteers or donations, you know, what do you see as, as the obstacles you need, to, uh, you need to overcome? I think having people realize that, first of all, we're in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, beautiful county. If you mentioned to anybody that you live here, 
or work here, people always say, oh, I love Bucks County. It's beautiful. Um, when we talk about the fact that we have hundreds of kids on a waiting list and hundreds of kids being served in a program, mm -hmm. many people are surprised. I have heard people say, do you bust them from Philadelphia? Uh, we don't need to bust them from Philadelphia. First of all, to need a mentor, you do not have to be poor. 75% uh, of the children in our program are from low-income families. However, that's not a criteria that's necessary at all. Uh, people who come from wealthy families might still need support for sure. If you're from a single-parent household and a divorce situation or somebody died in the family, if there is a parent who's incarcerated, if there's a family member who's dealing with drug and alcohol issues, all of those are reasons for needing extra support. So I think getting the idea across that Bucks County and any place actually in our country, there are kids in need. So that's first of all, foremost. And also having, we really will need to reach out to more men. We want men to know you don't need special qualifications to be a big. For some reason, women seem to get that before men. I don't know why. Um, so there is a program we're starting. I think it's because they're smarter. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But I, in the, with the idea that I know we need more male mentors and more mentors in general, uh, we have a program called Bigs with Badges uh, that we are that I have been trying to get off the ground for five years now, and I think this is a year it's going to happen. The police departments, the fire departments, EMS workers, and it can be male or female, but I just know they happen to be more, the majority of them are men. They are stepping up now and realizing that they can totally become a mentor, whether it's a school-based program or community program. Um, but I feel like um, that's the biggest thing is getting people to realize it doesn't change your, it doesn't take away from your life or your personal time to become a mentor. You can fit it in. It's taking it's taking a child or youth with you when you're running your errands, when you're working on projects that you enjoy, going to the movies. Um, we really try to match kids and adults that share interests, um, and it doesn't take a lot of time out. Like I said, it's a couple hours twice a month. What would you tell people who might have? Um a fear or anxiety about being a mentor to a child who ha may have a parent that is incarcerated or a parent or both parents that might be um, drug or alcohol addicted and have a fear of being at risk because of that, because they have a different, totally different lifestyle, even though they want to be a mentor. I would say that they wouldn't be in our program unless we knew that the family situation was such that we felt like you were going to be totally safe. So yes, we have a lot of families that are dealing with drug and alcohol issues, but we wouldn't be putting a volunteer mentor in a situation where you're going to walk into a household where there's an active issue going on. The parent might be in rehab. They might be living away from home. The children might be being raised by grandparents, which mm -hmm. is very common in our program too. So we would never put you in that position. Um, we do have a program that is for families that are dealing with issues that we don't feel are appropriate for uh, volunteers, and that's called Options Program. And in that program, we match the children who are in situations like that. Maybe the children are beginning to get in trouble with the law, or maybe their families are just are working with social service agencies. Um, we match them with case managers, those professional staff members who are trained to work with youth and teenagers and children, and they are advocates for them in court if they need to go to court. They help them to complete community service hours when that's required. Um, and they also work with the parents as advocates for them. And they keep case notes. And they follow progress. And they report to the social service agencies that refer them. So that's a different program for families that have more need. To answer your question, mm. we would not be matching them with volunteers. Nice. 
So I understand there's the local organization. Is there a nationwide organization? Yes. So Big Brothers. And and I'm I'm kind of curious, as far as marketing or communications, how much help do you get from them? Okay. So Big Brothers Big Sisters of America is our national organization, and they were started in 1904. They provide overall standards for all the affiliates to follow, and there are about 300 and more affiliates throughout the country. But each of the affiliates, like us, operate independently. So our budgets, our staffing, um, even our programs are things that we create. We might use some of the platforms and the guidelines that they, that Big Brother Big Sister of, Ama- of, Nas- of America, the national organization, what they have maybe created a template for, but we might tweak it for our needs. They provide the branding, logo, and like I said, guidelines. And we follow that and we use those and we try to, we always have to adhere to that. Um, but regarding our specific programs and our, and sometimes we have policies that we um, tweak for our, our own use. So how much leeway do you have as far as your messaging is, is concerned? I would say that we make, we always have to pay attention to the guidelines that they've created and that they have in place. But in that, we also have a lot of freedom and flexibility to also create messaging that is more specific to us. But we have to just make sure that we follow their guidelines. So, Laura, how can people reach Big Brothers Big Sisters of Bucks County? So I would encourage you to go to our website and also to follow us on our social media. So our website would be, for again, for B as in boy, Big Brothers Big Sisters of Bucks County. It's bbbsbc.org. We're also on Facebook, and you simply go to Facebook and then type in Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Bucks County, and you'll find our page there. In Instagram, the same thing. And in LinkedIn, the same thing. We have our events listed. We often create Facebook events. You can say whether you're interested or planning on going. And we have all you know things that are coming up and ideas of ways you can get involved with us. So, so do you have any big events coming up that you, that you want to... So drop, funny, drop you, some funny information. You should ask. I'm just kind of. I mean, we, I mean, people can listen to this podcast at any time, but in case, right? It's, so uh, we have um, a bingo event coming up this Friday, but we do. Ha- in so, case, so what's that date? So, so March sixth. It's a St. Patty's Day themed designer handbag bingo at St. Cyril's Church in Jamison. That event comes up, and then we have a few other bingos coming up throughout the year. So keep keep posted on our social media. We also have a bowling event we call Bowl for Kids' Sake, and that is happening on Sunday, March 15th at Pike Lanes in Southampton. And we have another one at March 29th at Earl Bowles in Quakertown. Man, there's, there's always something going on. So. Exactly. So, 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 Fred, what would you say is your takeaway as far as Big Brothers Big Well, sisters? my takeaway is to follow up with Laura right away because I've been talking to her and to my wife about this for months and I would also encourage anybody who has or doesn't have children, but in our case, we have children and grandchildren that live all over the world. And for the last couple of years, I've had the feeling that I need and miss the daily or weekly activity instead of just using WhatsApp or FaceTime with my grandchildren and children and to have an impact on a child. So this is going to spur me to fill out the rest of the application and get it done. Get her done. How about you, Paul? What's what's your takeaway? Well, it's you know it's impressive the um, the range of programs that you that you offer. 
learning about the need that you have hundreds of kids who are not matched really becomes a, a call to action for anybody listening to this or anybody who is available to, uh, to talk to you about being a, a big. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. You know, it, and it just makes me, you know, think about, you know, a lot of businesses and, and most nonprofits are, you know, you have limited resources for communications and, and you're just trying to do the best you can with what you have. And I think that's a lot of true of a, of a lot of organizations. So Yeah, thanks for all the work that you do because it it's very important to, to help kids get on the right path, which is probably the source of a lot of the issues that our society has today with single-parent households and kids being left to other devices, especially using electronic media as their babysitter instead of an, an actual mentor. So on that note, I think we're going to wrap it up for this episode. I'm Rodney Warner, a freelance commercial writer, and uh, you could reach me at writerforhire at outlook.com. I'm Paul Schindel, Three Bears Communications. That's threebears.com. Spell it out, T-H-R-E-E, bears. Paul at threebears.com. And Fred Peritzke of FCP Digital. You can reach me at fcpdigital.com. And you can email me at fred at fcpdigital.com. And we thank you for listening to this podcast. Uh, please subscribe. And until next time, thank you very much. Thank you for joining us at the Three Bald Guys Talk Marketing Podcast. Please join us again next time. And check out our website at three, the number three, baldguyspodcast.com. Until next time, may the good marketing be yours. <laughs>